Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek Interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. I'm also the creator of the speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. And you can learn about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Julie Hood. She founded coursecreatorshq.com to help people build online courses to generate passive income. She's also host of the Course Creators HQ podcast. While what Julie does is quite interesting, I'm really keen to learn more about how she went from working. Well, I'm curious, well, what we're really curious about is to find out what she did before she started Course Creators HQ, considering she has this background in computer science and math. You know, going from computer science to course creation isn't exactly a straight line. Welcome to Teach the Geek interviews, Julie. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Neil. This will be a blast. Wonderful. So I mentioned that you have this background in computer science. Where did the motivation to study computer science come from? You know, it was kind of a fun story because I always really loved math to the point total total math geek because it was my favorite subject. And initially, and this was back in the 80s, so it was kind of before computer science really took off the way it has now. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be an engineer because my dad was a mechanical engineer. And I can remember the conversation I had with him. I was about, I think I was a freshman in high school. And I remember him saying, you know, I'm not sure, Julie, if you're going to really want to be a mechanical engineer, like you're fantastic at math and everything, but I'm just not sure about this engineering thing. And I, at that point, I had just kind of gotten started with computers in school. And I was like, well, you know what, maybe I'll switch over to computer science. And so uh, I'm so glad I did, because I would have been a terrible mechanical engineer. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not mechanically um, savvy, but I love being on the computer. So it was, it was a good switch, a good idea at the time. So yeah, that, that was how I got to computer science. And then I'd also always been really interested in business and speaking. So I was on the speech team. I was on our future business leaders um, group in school. And so I had all these interests everywhere. So it was a little challenging to try to sort of figure out like, okay, where am I actually going to take my career from here? So it was an interesting journey. <laughs> it's been fun. Nice. Well, you know, Maybe it would have been a great idea if your father had a, a chat with some other people who ended up studying mechanical engineering because they're not mechanically inclined either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it would have been a whole different path because I was looking at a different school. We have a science and technology school here and I ended up not going there. I went to our other public university. And so it would have been a completely different path. But what was what was kind of interesting, I will say, is my husband initially went to the science school, science and tech school, and he switched to the one that I was at just because and we happened to run into each other. So, you know, it all works out in the end when you uh, get connected in the right places. Nice. So now you get a degree in computer science. What kind of what kind of work did you do once you once you left school? 
Yeah. So this was the other piece of it. I had gotten some really fun summer internships where I was doing programming all day long. And I realized after like eight hours straight of programming, I'm like, I don't think this is quite right either. (laughs) So I sort of took my computer science degree and I was really interested in accounting and business and combined them. And they had a very specific job for computer auditors. So we were on the business side and we were on the computer side. And it was a really good fit to get both of those together and kind of unique. So for all your listeners who are like trying to figure out if you don't fit into one of those big general categories of jobs, there could be specific little niche jobs that could be a good fit for you. So I spent six years working in that position and started out there. Yeah. Nice computer auditor. You know, I've never even heard of, of such a position. So there, there you go. I guess. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Just because you get a degree in something doesn't mean you have to go into, I guess, what stereotypically people with that degree go into. You saw exactly. That, you saw the being a programmer wasn't for you sitting in front of a computer, maybe for hours at a time wasn't for you. And so you found something else. So good on you for, for doing that. But then you eventually, you leave all that and then you get into course creation. So where did this whole course creation thing come from? Yeah, such a winding path. So um, I ended up leaving the corporate world when my kids were born. I wanted to be home with them. And this was all about um, early 2000s when, when the internet was really taking off. And so I started just kind of dabbling in it with um, my own website, since I had that background in computers, I could, I was, that was, this was back when you had to like actually program your own websites and stuff. So I was dabbling around and just started a, a part-time consulting business when they were little and it has evolved through the years and I'm still doing similar work in helping people get get online, get their websites going. But now I focused in on the course creators because I figured out that those are the ones that I really love to help. It's the people, you know, that have this knowledge. They're trying to make the world a better place and make a little money while they're at it. So I really like focusing in on them and helping them get going. And so it was the same sort of work that I've been doing for, gosh, it's almost 20 years now online, but I really focused it on a specific niche. And that has made a huge difference in being able to get traction because one day, you know, when I was just doing more of like a general internet kind of business, one day I get a pizza place that needed a website. And then I get a chiropractor that was trying to get more clients. And then I have an author that was trying to do a course And so it was really hard to communicate with all of them. Could I help them all? Yes. But could I resonate with the right language to really address their needs? Not as much. So when I got to the point where I'm talking about course creators, we really focus on you're selling courses or you're selling coaching. And I talk about selling courses, not selling pizzas or trying to get chiropractor client. So it, it helps with people going, oh, that's the person I need to work with. So for your um, folks who are watching, I'm a big proponent of trying to focus in on a specific group so that you can be the expert for them. And the challenge there, I think, though, is that you know, you don't know right off the bat. Like when I started, I didn't know course creators were who I wanted to connect with. So you sort of have to start a little general and see who works, who you work the best with. Nice. You know, something, I think you're right about the the idea of of niching down because 
I've actually asked this question of other people too, when it comes to marketing, do you, does the person that, that you entrusted to do marketing on your behalf have to have any kind of background in whatever field that you're in? And it would seem like the answer would be yes, because if not, then they're going to have to do a lot of learning on, on their own. And so the work that they ended up, they end up doing, they may not even know if it works or not. They're doing a whole lot of experimentation on your dime. It probably would be help, more helpful to have somebody who has that experience of, of working for it, I guess in your case, with coaches to know, well, this will likely work, this likely will not. So let's go with what was worked as opposed to let's just try to figure things out as we go. So I, I think that's really smart to, to just to focus on a niche. Something you actually said earlier actually kind of piqued my interest, Julie. You said that you, you ended up switching out of what you were doing and, and going to course creation because you wanted to be at home with your, your children. Is there anything that the corporation that you were working with or working for could have done to have kept you? You know, that's such a good question. And I have to say they did a pretty good job because um, they were actually letting me work from home. And this was back like early 2000s. This was before remote work was such a big thing. But the challenge was um, my son did not sleep at all. <laughs> he was 18 months old before I got five hours of sleep in a row. So it was more that situation than what they were doing from the, from the um, business side of things. I guess maybe Maybe if I had taken a month or two and just completely stepped away for a bit and maybe gotten things, gotten him to sleep and kind of um, gotten me caught up <laughs> instead of trying to juggle everything that maybe would have helped. But I was pretty, pretty um, burnt out at that point and decided that that was going to be the best for for all of us and, and our family. So. Okay. You know, you're the, maybe the third person that I've had on the, on the podcast who was a mother who left the workforce and, or left working for a company to, to go home to, to stay with their children. So I really, oh, I'm always really interested and, and you're, well, you're not the first mother, but you're the first, one of the few mothers I've spoken to that became a stay-at-home mother after working for a while. And then maybe, you know, went back and, and, and did something else, but I'm always really curious to find out what, the, I guess you often hear about the issues that working mothers or just mothers that have jobs have and trying to juggle, you know, raising children and having jobs. So the ones that ended up leaving, I'm always curious as to, as to what companies could have done, if anything, to have kept you in, in the workforce. And if the answer is nothing, and then well, I guess that's, that's what the answer will have to be. You made that, you made that decision that, you know, working and wasn't, wasn't worth not getting, not being able to sleep. So I, I fully, <laughs> fully understand that as a person no, who likes to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad you're bringing it up though, because I don't think we have enough conversations with parents in general, and especially mothers, but just parents in general about how tough it can be when you have, um, especially newborns. And one of the things that I wish someone had mentioned to me or that I had known initially was that it gets so much easier as they get older. Like that first baby stage, that's a tough period. But then, um, you know, once they get a little bit older and they get to where they can um, do some of their, their own things and get themselves dressed and feed themselves and all that, it gets so much easier to be um, a working mom. And, and I have, I remember like being concerned about how this was all going to work to be, 
um, in that position of trying to do daycare all of the time. And, and I know there's so many mothers that juggle it really, really well, but I think I'm really glad you're having these conversations because I don't think we do enough of that with our young people to help them plan for how all this is going to work and how we're going to fit this in and, and, and have this, um, fulfilling life and not be exhausted. <laughs> so yeah, that's good. Wonderful. Julie, I want to tell you a story. Okay. I was an engineer working at a medical device company. I came in as a product development engineer, and that's the job that they told me I was going to do during the interview. And so that's the job that I signed up for. And for the first few months, that's exactly what I did. I was a product development engineer. One day, my boss called me into his office and said that you're going to be a project lead. I asked him, what's a project lead? These are not the words that he, that he responded to me with. But this is what I took in from what he said. This company is too cheap to hire project managers. And because you're a product development engineer, you're going to take on the responsibility of what a project manager would typically do, one of which is give project status updates to senior management on a monthly basis. I said, wow. okay, I will do that because now, now I'm not a project development engineer anymore. I'm a project lead. So that first, that first presentation that I had to give in front of management was absolutely horrendous, Julie. I, I did not know it was possible to sweat that profusely from one's body. Oh, no. Oh, yes. It was gross. It, the, the dry cleaning bill was ridiculous afterwards. <laughs> but you know what? I, I realized fairly quickly that this is because I had to give these presentations every month that this is probably something I want to get better at. So my question to you is, at what point did you realize that communicating with others would be a benefit to you? Oh my goodness. Such a good question. And actually, um, I had both of my kids and I kind of recommend this for all parents is to get your kids into some kind of speech class or speech group or, or something where they can get over that initial hurdle. Cause it is very scary at the beginning. Um, and I think I read somewhere where that's one of the biggest fears that a lot of people have is trying to do some kind of presentation in front of other people. And I think it really just takes practice. I had um, a really great uh, a priest, actually, when I was in church that they uh, let me do some of our readings when I was pretty young. It was like sixth grade, I think. And he said to me once, he said, Julie, if you mess up, just keep going. People aren't paying that close of attention and they won't notice. But if you pause and stumble over it, then they will notice. So he said, just keep going. And that was, I thought, some really fantastic advice. And getting that experience early on when I was younger, and then, you know, I did some of that in high school too, some speaking things really helped with getting over the fear of speaking and getting over the oh my gosh, I messed up now. What do I do? Like you get that experience of just keep going. And um, if you can get that early on, I think it makes it way easier when you hit the career path and you're having to do speaking and talking to people and doing presentations. If you've got some of that early, I think that can really help too. I think it's really funny that you're, it was a priest that said that keep going if, if, if anyone, if you, if you mess up, 
Because you're talking about the word of the Lord. You mean the people in the audience there aren't paying attention? <laughs> I know, I know what, what you're talking about, <laughs> especially some of the names, you know, that are really hard to pronounce right. and, and that we were kind of going through it. And he's like, yeah, just keep going. It's fine. However, <laughs> they won't notice. <laughs> they won't notice. That's hilarious. <laughs> what are we doing here? I'm, sitting, I'm supposed to yeah. get something out of this. <laughs> But keep going. Just you butcher them names. It's all right. Yep. <laughs> so in, I guess in addition to the, I guess these readings that you had to do in, in church, what are there, is there, are there any other things that you did to get better at presenting in front of people? Yeah. So um, I don't even remember why I did this exactly, but I joined the speech um, competition group club at school and um it's funny because i did really well in radio the radio competitions and um so it was kind of that experience i had a really good teacher at the time who was helping me get get better and we also had a whole video group that i avoided because i didn't want to be on video but i was good with doing like some of the radio stuff and and doing some of those so i kind of wish i had pushed myself into doing some video early on because that would have made that even easier too so i think it's just like jumping into the deep end of the pool and kind of forcing yourself to um try it realize it's going to be hard it's going to be difficult at the beginning you're probably going to mess up you're going to have lots of ums and ahs and to just keep going and and especially now i have some um folks that i work with that are doing toastmasters and they really like i don't know if you're a fan of toastmasters but they seem to get a lot from it as adults even to to be joining and doing presentations there so oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, Toastmasters yeah. is an excellent form to practice your public speaking. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm, I'm a firm proponent of just any, getting any kind of experience or just opportunities to practice something you want to get good at, whether it's public speaking or anything else. So, when it comes to the presentations that you have to give, do you have a process for putting them together? And if so, what is it? Yeah, oh, such good questions, Neil. You're really good at this. So, um, for my courses and for my when I'm doing like training kind of things, I really like to use uh, where I have presentations with PowerPoint or Keynote, and then I'm off to the side, like on Zoom, or or I'm kind of still visible, but I've got these presentations that are created and couple different reasons for that one for me then i don't have to remember the entire training you know the the presentation can be my notes and my triggers the second piece of it is i don't put all of the content in the presentation it's just more like one thought per slide that then triggers for me the rest of what i need to say so i don't have a definitely do not do presentations with a whole paragraph of text and you're just kind of reading the text that's so awful <laughs> so i like to have one image maybe a, a word or two on a slide and kind of keep the the spirit going quickly so i'm clicking through the slides to keep people's attention so for those kinds of training that's that's what i like to use i think it's not only effective for the audience because then they have something to look at it's easier for me to teach and um, one of my secrets is that i got a template created that has my branding and my colors in it and so I just use the same template over and over and I pull in 
the a lot of the slides can be repeated sometimes so that makes that whole process a lot faster of creating um, the presentation side of things and then when i'm doing other kinds of presentations like this kind of thing um, I sometimes I'll do notes and have I did one last week where we didn't actually have the presentation, but I had uh, pulled up some a word document where I had the things that I wanted to cover. So one of the secrets is you can be on zoom and have that sort of pulled up to the side so you're just it's right there and you can kind of glance over and see it. So those are kind of the two main ones I do. I also do a lot with um, podcasts and Clubhouse, and those luckily are just a little more spontaneous. I don't have to have as much preparation for them. So it's it's those are a little more fun and a little less prepared. But I always like to have something in my back pocket to talk about because you never quite know, you know, if uh, where uh, uh, interaction is going to go. So if you've got some things at least sort of jotted down or in the back of your mind, it makes it so much easier to keep the flow going and, and have things to talk about. Nice. You know, I think it, it makes it makes perfect sense if you have a, a presentation that you're giving in front of people to perhaps do some sort of practice beforehand. But it's something like a podcast or clubhouse, which is more, I guess, impromptu, especially if people are, are tuning into something like clubhouse, it's free. So you, you're on a free platform and you're listening to people for free. You're going to get what you're going to get. You better not be complaining. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, you know, the best clubhouse moderators are the ones who have worked at it a bit and have kind of can pull together some good content. So I'm always trying to make sure I have at least some things ready for people on there, too. So, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of using a template as well. So I have, I have a template as well for my for my presentations, and I reuse slides all the time too. So you're, I, I'm with you on just you know, the things don't have to be difficult if, if 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 that's not if you're able to make things simple. That's 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 for yourself. That's that's great. And then people won't know the difference anyway. Just like they don't know the difference if you miss a word or you mispronounce a word, but <laughs> like when you were in sixth grade in presenting in front of the in front of your church in your church congregation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the same thing. <laughs> absolutely. So before you give presentations, do you ever get nervous? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? You know, I always, almost always do. And I have, I finally learned, I have this moment of dread, usually either the day before or a couple hours before where it's so funny because I'm just like, oh, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> and then I get on it and I have a wonderful time. So I've learned, like, I just kind of have to ignore that little, I don't know where that comes from, um, that if it's, if it's a fear or if it's just a, it's just a very common thing happens almost every time I have to do something I'm like, Oh, I don't really want to, but then I get into it. And I have such a good time. And so I, that does happen a lot um, for me. And then if there, if it's something really, um, uh, what do I want to say really new or, or something really challenging, I had another trick that my dad taught me that might be helpful for some of your listeners. And he was like, pinch together your two fingers if you get super nervous, because then kind of what happens is sort of that nervousness kind of goes into your hand. And there's something about like squeezing it together really hard that helps to kind of pull the focus away so your brain can still function. So in case that's helpful for anybody. I'm, I'm squeezing right now. I'm seeing what's happening. <laughs> Does it matter which fingers it is or just anything? Well, I always 
did this middle one in my thumb, but oh, I don't no. know if it really matters. And it's more when you're in that really, really, you know, that nervous stage where you're kind of shaking almost and that really intense where you need that, that energy to kind of, kind of go away so you can talk. Right. <laughs> That's when it's most helpful. So yeah. Anyway, Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. I'm, I'm gonna give that a shot. Middle, yeah, finger, I've middle some- finger and thumb. All right great teachers through the years that helped me with all this nice you know i've done a number of these interviews julie and whenever i ask that type of question i get varying answers this is the first time i've heard about squeezing fingers together (laughs) i know i've never heard (laughs) my dad told me that one he's the only one i've ever heard that from but it 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 does work i have used it a, a few times when especially when it's something um like if you're getting up in front of a big group and you're really nervous it it does help me so Yes, but whenever some when when some people answer that question, they'll say, "Yeah, they get nervous," and then they'll offer some various things that they do to to quell their nerves. Some people say that not necessarily nervousness; it's more anxiety. They they frame it more as excitement. So they say they don't get nervous; they get excited. But for the people that say, "No, I've been doing this long enough that I don't get nervous," I say, "You're a liar." You absolutely do get nervous or, or, or excited. You get something. You just go up there and just just kind of even, you, you certainly feel a little something, especially if you care about what you're talking about. So when it comes to, I, I want to ask you before we, we end, it, end things on about your podcast, Cre- uh, Course Creators HQ, what exactly is it about? And what do you hope people get from it? Oh my goodness. Thank you for asking. Um, it's one of the, my favorite things that I do every week. I host short podcast episodes about all aspects of course creation And a lot of the episodes are um, me sharing, like last week was the five big mistakes I've been seeing people make with their courses. And they're usually about 15 to 20 minutes. And I go through some of the things that I hope is helpful for people to get going on their, their courses and helping them sell it. And then I bring in a few guests, not a lot, but a few of my very favorite guests that I know can be helpful with specific situations maybe that I don't teach or I don't talk about. So every now and then, like um, a few weeks ago, I had one of my favorite attorneys on and she talked about kind of the legal side of doing online courses. And so that's, that's basically what it is. I try to keep it short and sweet and really focused for people so that they can listen and feel like they get something worthwhile and helpful in just a short episode, Mm -hmm. but they can listen while they're walking the dog or doing the dishes or folding clothes and move their business a little bit forward, do something a little bit differently, get a little bit further on down the path. Because honestly, I feel like the world just needs our brilliance and need your brilliance out like we've we need it so desperately so that's why i'm big on let's let's use courses let's use whatever we can to get that messaging out and help people improve their lives their their families their businesses their jobs and and just move move us all forward you know i'm a big fan of short and sweet too julie so i thank you for keeping your podcast that way you know when it comes to even books I go on Amazon and I read the one and two star reviews for a lot of these, these popular business books are just self-help books, professional or personal development books. And one of the biggest complaint or, or critique of many of these books is that they're unnecessarily long. So I'm really glad that you make your podcast, you know, short and to the point people can get something out of it. And it's not, it's not drawn out. 
I, I kind of like to, to have these podcast episodes be short as well for that same reason. So if you, for the last question that I would like to ask is for, for someone who's watching or listening and they want to get more effective at presenting in front of people, what's the number one tip you could give them? Oh my goodness. Such a good question. Number one tip. I think it would be kind of a combination of jump in and try it and then practice because really that this is one of those things that you can read about and learn about and get some techniques, but until you just sit down and make yourself do it, you're not really going to get better at it, you know? And I think there's a part of your brain, this is just me. I don't have any um, science side of this, but I think there's a part of your brain that gets good at answering things quickly and kind of can, can get a question and can take it. And um, folks who don't have as much experience, maybe don't have that developed as well. So if you keep going and you get in and you, you know, you jump in and, and get yourself to keep moving, you just get better and better and faster and faster at it. I think that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. I'm a firm believer in that. You're absolutely right. You can read all the books, listen to all the podcasts and watch all the YouTube videos you want, but with, with anything in life, really, if you want to get better at it, you actually have to do it. So, I, I, so this is actually my last question. So I lied. So <laughs> my last question is, <laughs> how can people get in touch with you? Oh, thanks so much for asking that. So um, Instagram, I'm Course Creators HQ. It's a great place to message me um, or my website, CourseCreatorsHQ.com. Either one of those would be great. So I love to hear what people are working on. I've been at this for a long time and I always come across these new interesting courses and new markets that people are doing. So it's, it's my passion is figuring out how do we get you in front of as many people as possible that are your right audience. Excellent. Well, everyone that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. I'm also the creator of Teach the Geek to Speak. It's an online public speaking course, and you can learn about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Neil. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.